Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. We are in a series where we're looking at James 1.19, and right out of the gates, I kind of want to put this idea just on your mind. The way that we speak matters. The way that we speak matters. So yesterday, my, my boys, I've got two boys, eight and five, they were at a birthday party, and uh, it was so fun. We were at Detweiler Park and outside and just lots of playing and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, every little kid birthday party, there's games, there's presents and all that stuff. They do cake, and you always sing. Well, I noticed that singing happy birthday, this little boy, he's a quieter kid, you know, and, and uh, not, not always out there, but like when they sang happy birthday to him, the joy that hit his face, like just listening to all these other kids sing happy birthday to you, like you could just imagine what that did. Now, it was kind of fun because like if you know little kids, you know that happy birthday often has more lyrics afterwards. And, and they decided to add the longest stretch of additional lyrics I have ever heard. Like the song itself was like a third of all that they actually wanted to say. So it was just fun to watch that. But you can imagine this little boy, how excited he was just the joy that hit his face, hearing some people say, happy birthday to you. Like it did something. It it made a difference. It made a difference for him. So we're in this series, and we're looking at James 1.19, and and this verse has three different components we're kind of looking at over three weeks. And and last week we looked at listening, but today we're going to talk about speaking, about our words, and so I want to throw up the, the verse just to remind you what it is. James 1.19. Here it is. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And again, last week we looked at listening. Today we're going to look at this, this phrase, slow to speak. Slow to speak. And if we keep that in mind, we're going to remember that, that words, the way we speak, matters. And and as we're digging into this series, we're wanting this key idea to come across you. It's like the whole goal of what we're doing. We want to relate rightly in the way that we communicate. We want to be in right relationship. We want to connect with other people in the right kind of way by the way that we communicate. And so when we hear James say, be slow to speak, he's wanting relationship capital to be built. We want to relate rightly in the way that we communicate. And so, looking at today, the way that we speak matters. The way that we speak matters. Words have power. And that's actually the key idea that we're going to start opening up first. Uh, When we hear James call us to be slow to speak, he's building on a key idea that words, they have power. They have power. Like, what we say matters. What we say does something. And so we want to look at that. We want to open this up and kind of explore. So I encourage you, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to get to James in just a minute, but turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start by looking at a key idea that James is building on that's captured really well in the book of Ephesians. And so Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 29. Verse 29, it's up here on the screen as well. Do not let an unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit 
those who listen. Now, if you grew up in church, you might have heard this verse before, and you probably even heard this phrase, unwholesome talk. You probably think like, okay, we're not supposed to cuss, right? That's the big idea. Or don't tell dirty jokes. Like, that's what unwholesome talk is, right? Well, actually, I like what the ESV translates this as, so I want to throw that up on the screen. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Only, for what, only such as good at building up as fits the occasions so that it may give grace to those who hear. Did you notice that word change? I want to highlight it here for you, corrupting. Again, like wholesome talk versus unwholesome talk. We're thinking like these kinds of things of cussing and, and don't say dirty things. Okay. Actually, I think what Paul has in mind here is something broader. That word there in Greek that the ESV translates corrupting that the NIV translates unwholesome, is actually the word rotten. Like, it's the word rotten as you think of, like, fruit. If you've got, like, a bundle of fruit and it's sat there too long, like, when you pick one up and it's all mushy and gross and there's, like, juice coming out of it, it's like, oh, I'm not going to eat that. That is the kind of word Paul is using here. He's talking about this idea of decay, of things rotting out, like it's not the way that it's supposed to be. It's like falling apart, it's disintegrating, like it's dying. It's dying. So I think when Paul is talking about this kind of talk, it's not just like, okay, don't say things that are unpleasant. What Paul is talking about here is, is decay, things that destroy, things that bring death. I think what Paul is trying to connect the dots for us is that words, they have power, and they have the power of life and death. Let me give you a couple of examples, and just let's kind of get real here. Like, if you hear someone say to you, you always mess up, like, what does that feel like to you? It hurts, and, and it feels tearing down, right? Like, you, you feel just a little bit of death inside of you. Imagine a spouse. I don't love you anymore. I don't want to be in this relationship. Death. Or a father telling a son, you're stupid. Why were you thinking that? Death. Words have power. And they have the power of life and death. This is what Paul is pointing towards. This is what James picks up on. Words have power. Even the smallest, the littlest of things has power. And this is what Paul is building on. Words, they matter. And so now, like we looked at Ephesians, I want you to turn to James. And uh, James 1.19 is the verse that we're looking at. But then James picks this up again in chapter 3 where he explores a little more deeply this idea of speaking, of the tongue, of the power of words. And so I want you to look at chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. What James is going to do here is he's going to give us a few different images or examples of of what the power is that we're talking about. So beginning at verse 3. When we put the bits into the mouths of horses... To make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. 
Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a, small for- what a great forest is set on fire but a sp- by a small spark. So what James does here is he uses three quick images. Talks like the bit of a horse. So if you know like, what, it, what it's like when you, you're riding a horse, it's got something in its mouth that's tied to the reins that you hold on to. And it's inside that mouth. You can just pull a little bit, and that horse, horse is going to turn. It's just that little bit, that little piece of metal that it's biting on. You can turn the animal. You can turn the horse to go whichever direction you want. In a similar kind of way, like a rudder, the small little piece of wood on a great ship, back then blown by wind, it can just turn. It can go whatever way you want it to go. And it's just a little piece of, of, of a device. Or, or a forest, a forest fire, like where does that start? By a small spark. The littlest of things have great power. And James is connecting that to our words. Like our words, they have power. And so hearing these illustrations, hearing the weight of all of this, I think what James is wanting to do is it should produce caution within us. It should slow us down. Like what we should do is we should feel like, okay. So back to James 1.19, be slow to speak. James is calling us to slow down and to realize the power of our words. This should produce caution in us. We should be careful with the words that we use. And so if words have power, and James is wanting us to, hey, okay, you've got to steward this power well, like how do we go about doing that? Or what else do we need to know about our words? Like they've got power, but what do we do with that? I think there's another key idea that I want to look at. I want to turn to Luke 6. If you want to flip in your Bibles, great, but don't feel like you have to. But we're going to look at Luke 6, some of the words of Jesus. And what we see here is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. We did the Sermon on the Mount, you know, a couple of months ago where we explored in depth. But what Luke is doing here is he's taking an idea that Jesus consistently taught, I think, and connects the dots for us. So, so Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up inside of his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks from the heart. This is what, what Jesus is trying to connect the dots for. He's like, he's using the image of trees and fruit. And it's like, okay, if it's a good tree, it's going to bear good fruit. If it's a bad one, it's going to bear bad fruit. And, and it's going to come from somewhere. And what Jesus says is it's from this heart. It's from the inside. It's from deep down right here, the core of who we are. That's where it comes from. James picks up on this. So back to to chapter 3 in James, he's talking a similar kind of thing. What we see with James is that he's using the images of a spring and, and some of these other things. So looking at verse 11 and 12. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? 
My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. All of this is to say that like what's coming out, the words that we're speaking comes from our heart. Words come from the heart. So if that's true, if you were to kind of pause and think back like, okay, what, what have I been saying you know, the last week, maybe the last couple of days? What would the words that you've spoken say about your heart? If you begin to reflect and like, okay, these are conversations that I had, these are the kinds of things that I spoke, what kind of picture would it paint of your heart? What what do you see coming out of your mouth as it reveals about your heart? This is what Jesus is trying to point us to. This is what James is trying to point us to. He's saying the words that we speak, they come from somewhere. They're coming from our heart. And you're probably looking at these words that you've spoken and you're like, hmm, okay. (laughs) I mean, if you're like me, you probably had some moments where I I spoke well in this conversation or I I look back and I I reflect fondly like this was good. This was a good example. And then other times, (laughs) I feel like I fell short. It's not quite what I wanted to say. It's not, um, maybe not the best example of my, you know, best choice of words. When you look at, at what you've spoken, even just over the last few days, like, what does it say? And you probably have a bit of a mixed bag. You know, these different things where it's like, yep, I'm pretty proud of that, and this, I kind of want to forget. It probably feels like, oh, I want this to be better. Even if it's, you know, like, okay, I did a lot, but there's a little bit, like, ooh, I just want that to be better. Or maybe you're just like, Wow. I don't want to show anybody this kind of list. If you're looking at this and you're just kind of feeling like, I'm a little concerned about what my words are and what that says about my heart. Well, I want to offer you this. This is a key idea that Jesus, he gives us the right kind of heart. Jesus gives us the right kind of heart. So we see in Luke, he's, he's teaching, he's doing his ministry. Over a course of three years, he is walking alongside his disciples, he's walking alongside the crowds, and he's offering them a picture of the kingdom. But how does that all go in the end? Like Jesus is teaching, but like what happens in his earthly life? He goes to a cross. He, he puts himself in a position to be put to death. Why? Why? It's because he was taking all of these things, this badness in our heart, if you will. We call that sin. We call that brokenness. We call that rebellion. He took all of that and he took it in his body and he put it on a cross. So that when he was put to death, so was all of this. All of this was put to death too. If you were with us in this last series, we explored this big story of the Bible, and we, we looked at one particular text, kind of briefly, in Ezekiel, where God is seeing the sinfulness of his people. Over and over again, they rebel, they don't come through, they mess everything up, and he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Jesus came to do that. When he was put to death on that cross, all the bad stuff in our hearts, all this sinfulness was put on him too. And in the third day after he died, he was raised back to new life 
so that he could put the good stuff back in us. He could give us that new heart. We could have new life with him. And so Jesus, he gives us a new heart. When we trust him, when we align ourselves to him, when we say, I want to follow you, he gives us the gift of this new heart. And so if you're a Jesus follower, and you're kind of like, okay, I I want that new heart, and maybe I've got it. You do. If you follow him, you do. But I don't always see that in my words. Little by little, the Holy Spirit takes the ministry of Jesus, the work that he did, and he applies it to your life. One day at a time, one piece at a time, one element of your life at a time. And so these different moments where you're like, I'm, I'm not speaking the way that I would want to, not speaking in a way that honors Jesus, the Holy Spirit meets us in that. And he walks alongside of us. And little by little, he begins to reshape our hearts. And he helps our words be the kinds of words that honor Christ. This is the work that he's doing right now in real time. In your everyday life, he is doing this. He is giving you this new heart. And so if you're feeling like, man, I'm kind of concerned about where my words are, Don't worry, that is right there an invitation to allow the Spirit to work. In these moments where you feel like, man, my words, I I didn't speak well to this person or I kind of said the wrong thing, it came out in the wrong way, that right there is an invitation for the Holy Spirit to come and to begin to work on you just a little bit more. This is what he does. This is the process that we're in as we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus is giving us this new heart. So if you feel that burden, you feel like, oh, I'm not quite there, he's working, and you can trust him in that. Now, if you're, if you're here, and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, or you haven't really made the decision, like, I, I want to follow him, or, or maybe like, you're unsure about all that, he's willing to give you a taste. I think he's willing to come in and say, all right, Jesus, help, help me think through this words thing. Like, show me what this could be like. I, I guarantee you, he wants to meet you in that. And maybe give you a little taste, a little picture, so that, man, okay, I do want to follow him. Jesus wants to walk alongside you in all of your life. But if you give him a little, he'll take it. I encourage you to give him the whole thing. But right where you are, ask him the questions that you've got. Like, just meet It's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. Give me, give me just a little bit, Jesus, and I'll, I'll go with you here. And, and he will. If you're not quite ready, that's okay. He's willing to meet you. But if you are, the gift is a new heart, a new core, a new center from which you can speak. This is what Jesus wants to offer. Okay. So words have power. We can see that. Like, if you've experienced the, the power of words at different moments in your life, you, you know this. Like, you you know that words have power. And Jesus, he wants to give us the right kind of heart because from our heart come our words. What does it actually look like for us to walk in this? Like, what does it look like for us to actually be like Jesus with our words? Well, I want to go back to Ephesians and get this key idea from there. We are to build up with our words. We're to build up with our words. Like, that's what Ephesians is is telling us. So we're to build up people. So let's go back to the text, Ephesians 4. Look at verse 29. We are to build others up according to their needs. 
We're to build others up according to their needs. The way the ESV had it is you see it kind of as fits the occasion. And that, that's like, it's very practical. Like each occasion, pay attention to what's needed. But right here, Paul is pointing us to is we build others up according to their needs. We're to be building up. We're not to be tearing down. And that's kind of a parallel to this image of life and death. If we're, we're speaking death, if we're, we're doing that, we're tearing things down, we're destroying, we're bringing down to decay, like it's going to ruin. It's chaos. But rather, if we're building up, if we're building the structure up, we're, we're making it healthy, we're, we're elevating it, we're doing that according to needs. So what does the other person need to hear? That is the defining mark for how we speak. We, we build up according to needs. So what does this actually feel like? I want to give you an example from my life, and then I want to spell out a few key things of what, is it, what does this feel like. So um, a few years ago, uh, in my last church, uh, we got connected to some guys who were kind of teaching on discipleship, and, and they had a, a process or a training that uh, we actually ended up adopting and going through ourselves. Uh, and this was super formative for me. So I've, I've grown up in the church, and I've been a part of a lot of different discipleship trainings and, and um, methods and all that kind of stuff. And you may have too. Uh, and so many of them are so good and, and everything. But this one for me was so formative. And one of the key things that I took away from it that was a little bit different than some of the other discipleship experiences I'd had was this idea that we want to grow in gospel fluency. Now, now what does that mean? Like grow in gospel fluency. One of the things that I think we, we can easily miss is we hear like, okay, we're supposed to know the right things, do the right things, but like how do we embody the gospel, really? And that's what this is all about. It's like taking the gospel, taking this, this story and the, the key ideas tied to it, but applying it on the ground, like making the implications real for people. So what that actually looked like was we would hit these moments along in life. We called them kairos moments. A Greek word means time, but it's a significant time. So a kairos moment is a moment where you sense God was maybe trying to teach you something. And sometimes that could come through you know, hardship. Okay, work is really difficult for me right now, and I'm just so frustrated, like, oh, this is a kairos. It's a kairos moment. Okay. Or, or maybe things are going well, or you have these positive experiences, or, or maybe you're reading the, the Bible and just something hits you, like, those are kairos moments, and they teach you how to recognize that. What do you do with that? There's a process of asking good questions, of listening, of having others kind of come alongside you to arrive at this a statement of bad news. Now, what this is, bad news, like the statement of bad news, is, is it's a way that we are living that is not in alignment with God's reality, with how he is, whether it's something about us, about who he is, or about the way the world works. It's a lie, essentially. And if you were to, to pick up the newspaper and read bad news, it's like something like, oh man, this is not something I'm looking forward to. That kind of thing. It's a lie that we're believing, that we're trusting is true, but isn't. And we are to proclaim the gospel to that very idea. And so it's taking the gospel that Jesus is Lord, he's Savior, and tracing that down to what does that mean for this moment. So let me give you one of my examples. Uh, several years ago when I was kind of doing some church stuff, I just got into a really busy season. There was a lot going on, and I really wasn't responding the right kind of way. I've shared with you that I'm kind of like an achiever and I do a lot and, and it's hard for me to just kind of let things go or whatever. Like I'm just, I'm constantly doing 
Well, my bad news that my group helped me to discern was this. All of it is on me. All of it is my responsibility, including the outcomes. This is a lie. It's not all on me. But I was believing that it was. I was operating as if it was. Everything, all of it's my responsibility, including the outcomes. This was the bad news statement that we got to. The good news, the gospel, what that says to it was this. I'm limited. I'm limited. Doesn't sound like good news, but it is. I'm limited, and I can seek the Lord and allow him to work through me. I can seek him and allow him to work through me, and he will take care of the outcomes. This was good news. This was the gospel. He is Lord and Savior over all things in my situation. So I am not responsible for everything. It is not all on me, and I do not have control of the outcomes. That is all a lie. I needed to hear the good news that I'm limited which goes against our American mindset, like, oh, you should be able to do anything and everything you want, right? Like, no, it's actually good news for me to hear, I can't do it all, because it's true, and it's freeing. I don't have to do it all, but I can go to him, I can seek him, and he will work through me, and I can trust him with the outcomes. This is what it sounds like to hear gospel in a real situation, And so I'm teasing that. This is some of the stuff that I've got in the back of my head. Like, I'm wanting us to embody, as as followers of Jesus, like what it means to live like him in this kind of way. But notice the power of words. Being able to name, like, what's the bad news? What's this thing that I'm kind of trusting is true? I, I couldn't necessarily consciously describe it until, like, I stepped back, had some people help me get there to, like, oh, yeah. That's what I think is true. And it's not. This is the gospel and what Jesus wants to say to me in this way. This is true. This is the power of words. Because it was freeing. And I could step back into the the things that Jesus had entrusted me to. The things he'd say, I want you to be responsible for this. But not this. And I could own that well and operate better in a more healthy way. This is the power of words. And this is what it looks like to build up. So, what does this actually, let me flesh this out, what does this practically look like? So, the big idea that I want you to walk away with is this. Speak life. Speak life. Not death, not tearing down, but build up by speaking life. That's what it feels like to hear gospel good news. It should be life-giving, speaking life. But let me trace this out a little bit further. So, speaking life, what, what does this all look like? Well, number one, go back to last week and listen first. Okay? Listen first. We talked about that, where we want to be quick to listen. Because if we're quick to speak, if we're quick to offer, like, here's what I think, or here's my thoughts, like, we might miss it. That discipleship process involves asking good questions and listening. Because we may not see the whole picture. We might think we do, but we don't unless we ask good questions and we listen and we take in the information. So the first thing of speaking well is not speaking at all. 
It's listening. So if you weren't here last week, go back, listen to last week, and and how do we listen well? What does that actually look like? What does it look like for us to be quick to listen? Go check that out if you haven't listened to it. You can do that on our website. But So listening first. But okay, once we've listened, then what happens? I invite you to ask this question of yourself. Is it going to benefit the other person? This should be a question that's rattling around in our heads. Before we say a word, we just say, okay, is what I'm thinking, what I'm about to say, going to benefit the other person? Because what, what Paul was talking about is we want to be building up according to their needs. So what do they need? What's, what's the benefit for them? Like, am I going to say something that is helpful and what they need to hear? Now, um, if you've been with us for a while, you probably have heard this phrase, grace and truth. We started to talk about this a little bit. There are times when we need to just speak simple encouragement, like, it's, let me make you a little, feel a little happy here. Like, we just need to encourage you and build you up and speak some good things that are pleasant, you know, that kind of thing. There are times to do that. And then there are times where what's most beneficial for somebody is something they may not want to hear. And we need to speak truth. Now, these two things are not intention, they're not in, in, in antitheses. Like they, they go together. They, they, they aren't mutually exclusive. They actually belong together, working together. So grace and truth is not like, ooh, I'm flopping between one or the other. Like, no, they both belong together. And so we ask ourselves this question, is it beneficial? And maybe they're not going to like it, but do they need to hear it? Do they need to hear it? Is this something that that is helpful to spur them forward, even if it's not comfortable? But does it benefit them? But this should lead to the next thing that I want to highlight. What's your motive? What's your motive? Sometimes when we speak truth, it's like, oh, I need to tell them something hard. We want to tell them. I'm right and you need to know it. I've got the right answer, and you need to hear it. I need to tell you what's up. I, I, I. What's your motive? Is it really a selfishness, a self-centered kind of thing, like I've got the right answer, and you need to know what's right? Or do I really care about you, and am I others-centered? That's the tension I want you to discern in your motive. Like, Are you doing this for you? Are you doing it for them? Like, what's your motive? Like, what is it that you're really going after? Are you seeking to say what's right or to help them step into what's right? And there's a difference. So what is it for you? What is your motive? Are you self-centered? Are you other-centered? And sometimes it's hard to know the difference. Completely acknowledge that. Like, I struggle. Am I I saying this because I really want to help them? Or, Or am I saying it because I want them to know and so it calls for humility. It's just bringing ourselves down and saying, all right, maybe I don't have this all figured out. I'm going to go slow and elevating the other person, looking out for what they need. What's their need? What is it that they need to benefit from? Like play out the scenarios, like how do I help them get there? And that, that is your motivation. It's what's best for them It's thinking of ourselves less, you know, just minimizing how much we're we're contemplating our own selves and like thinking about them more. Like, what do they need? How How do you identify your motive? It's paying attention to what you're thinking about. 
It's paying attention to what they need, like what's beneficial for them. And so I think it leads us to avoid things like gossip. Like gossip is so hard. Like you can just suddenly find yourself in a conversation where you're talking about somebody. And maybe just a quick definition, it's talking about someone behind their back to their detriment. Like if you're speaking about them and, and other people are thinking less of that person, it's probably gossip. Now there are times when you need to share information, you know, a situation like someone needs to be brought in. Sure, but like gossip, what's your motive there? Like are you seeking to build up, doing what's, there, what's helpful for them, what's their benefit, even though they're not there? Like what's your motive? Are you getting kind of a thrill out of it? Like this is the kind of thing that we've got to diagnose. What's your motive? All right, the next one your tone. Your tone communicates just as much as your words do. And so this hopefully gives you two things. Um, number one, that I want you to pay attention to not just the words that you say, but how you say them. Because you can say like, oh, great job there. And you can know like that's not what they mean. Like the sarcasm or the, the irony of that. Like how we say something matters just as much as the words do. And so we want to pay attention. How am I embodying what I'm saying right now? Am I speaking it with grace and truth, with compassion and gentleness? Or am I being harsh and demeaning? Like, am I tearing somebody down by the way that I say these words, even if they're the right words? So we want to pay attention to our tone. That's number one. But number two, it's also freeing. You may feel like, okay, I don't know what the right words are here. I'm kind of struggling to come up with it. Give it your best shot. And remember that your tone can capture what your words won't. So if you're feeling like, man, I don't know what to say here. Like, I'm kind of struggling. Like, okay, come up with your best shot. And just remember, like, I can say what I want to say in my body and in my tone, the way that I present it. You know, it might be the worst way to communicate or the, the, the words themselves might be the worst, but like, they can feel it. They know what you mean. I think a great example is, is moments of grief. When you're, when you're sitting with someone and maybe they've lost a loved one, like sometimes our tendency is just like to say all the things that we think they should hear. Well, you know, they're in a better place or like, yeah, it's, it stinks now, but it'll be okay down the road. Like, the best thing you can do is say nothing except maybe I'm sorry. Those are the words. They may not feel like enough, but your tone, your presence, you are there communicates the whole message. So don't feel like you got to have all the right words figured out. Like this should be a freeing kind of thing because your tone communicates just as much as your words do. So I hope these are kind of helpful suggestions. But again, bottom line, big idea for today, speak life. Speak life. That's our goal. Are we speaking life-giving words? Are we building up? That's what we want to be shooting for. Because when we do, when we use our words carefully, when we realize the power and we use them to build up, when we speak life into someone, we're, we're, we're encouraging them. We're, we're growing their humanity. We're allowing them to expand into more of who they are. That's what happens when we speak life into someone. And I wonder if this image, speaking life into, brings up the, another person who does this. It's the Lord. The Lord is the one who speaks and brings life. I mean, the whole story about the way it starts, 
what does God do? He creates by speaking. And he speaks life into existence. He is allowing us to have a small little piece of that. God himself is speaking life. He does that. And we, as his representatives, get a little slice of that. We can speak life. The words that we use, the way that we communicate, we can build up. We can speak life. This is his promise to us. Like, he's coming along for the ride. He's helping us to speak life. So, church family, would we commit to this? Would we commit to being people who watch our words and who speak life?